Now let's at this time turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. And don't let the size of this pericope, this portion or passage, fool you. There's tucked into this a lot. <laughs> like the commandment, thou shalt not kill or murder that we're studying on Thursday night. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. God bless his word. Let's pray again. Father, do bless uh, your holy word. Give us understanding that we might understand the scriptures. Fill our hearts to overflowing as these are your very words. Even as the sheep love to hear the voice of the shepherd and follow him. Lord, help us to be better followers of yours. In Christ's name, amen. The Christian work ethic. You probably didn't think I'd be preaching on the Christian work ethic. It sounds like something political. It's not. It's first and foremost biblical. Why not Christian employers and Christian employees? For one thing, there were not corporations like we have today back when Paul wrote this. You had big government. We call him Uncle Sam. Back then they probably called him Uncle Caesar. There were plenty of small business owners, by the way. I, the Lord the Lord is happy to have many small business owners. He believed in, in uh, uh, capitalism. Like Mr. Barber, Mr. Brewer, Mr. Cook, Mr. Farmer, Mr. Fisher, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Hunter, Mr. Mason, Mr. Piper, Mr. Skinner, Mr. Weaver, Mr. Taylor. But half of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Did you know that? Keep in mind that Caesar went all over the Mediterranean world conquering neighboring people. And that meant he made them slaves. Whether they were allowed to stay in their country, such as the Jews were allowed to stay in what was a tribute or tributary state of Rome, or be transported elsewhere according to Caesar's discretion. Many of these slaves were highly educated people, captured in war, relocated to other parts of the empire where they were needed. They would work for the upper class. Now the gospel was widely received by the slave population and other lower classes. James says, hearken my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world 
rich in faith. And heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. For example, according to the early church historian Eusebius, the gospel writer Luke may have been born into slavery in Antioch, Syria, and later become a doctor. He had a favorable master. He speaks to Luke, or of Luke, in Colossians 4.14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, greet you. Now, some masters became Christians as well. When the Christian community met for worship, they were taught from the Bible that God does not see these distinctions that we make and that we see. I'm borrowing from the introduction, uh, for my introduction, my, my background, from Ray Stedman. He says, I quote, you might say they began to see how the ground was level at the foot of the cross, unquote. Isn't that beautiful statement? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It was on a hill, Golgotha, but the ground was level at the foot of the cross. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For, there, for we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. But what about when they went home from church and went back to work the next day? Does this relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ apply elsewhere, like at the workplace? Of course, of course. Look at the passage. I just read it. I won't read it again except to refer to some choice phrases. Verse 5, as unto Christ. 6, the servants of Christ, the slaves, if you will. 7, as to the Lord. 8, the same shall you receive of the Lord or from the Lord. 9, your master also is in heaven. Paul starts to settle the question of slavery, but not head on. That's what you think ought to be done. But the apostle was not called to be like William Wilberforce, the famous 19th century abolitionist in the British Empire. Rather, he approached slavery, slavery in the, from the context of the biblical teaching on work. After all, wasn't that the purpose that slave trade, the slave trade was designed to accomplish? Uh, blue-collar jobs, as it were, like construction or getting a building project done, like the pyramids. Only back then, and ever since, with free labor. And is not work an institution of God from the very start? Look up Genesis 2. 2. Genesis 2. 2. I want to establish that this is God's will it says in Genesis 2 2 and on the seventh day God ended his work there it is which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made but how about verse 15 and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it 
That means he was like a farmer or like a, a, a vine keeper. He was to cultivate it, to do everything involved in, in, in that, and to guard it, especially against the evil one whom God was anticipating already would encroach upon that garden and did. And guess what? That was God, no sooner having made man, put him right to work. And by the way, God didn't put Adam on the payroll either. It was all free labor from the first employer, God. And nothing has changed so far as work goes, meaning that work goes, work continues. Even to the coming of the Industrial Revolution. Today, I believe, for the most part, legalized slavery has been eliminated in the world. We know that that's an evil, except maybe in communist countries today. Now, I have three principles that I draw from our passage. Because again, work is good. Work is biblical. Work done God's way is just glory. And the three principles, as they fall out in verse 6-5, back in Ephesians 6-5, if you would turn back to it, just looking at one verse, Ephesians 6, 5, you can identify the three principles in seed form. Ephesians 6, 5. Let me read verse 5 of Ephesians 6 again. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. There it is. And so what are the three principles? Can you pick them out? First, obey your employer as you do the Lord. That's the first. Second, fear, respect, reverence your employer as you do the Lord. And third, love your employer as you do the Lord. Can you pick them out? Be obedient with fear and trembling, with singleness of heart as unto Christ. Now, we will focus on the first principle. That's all I, I think we have time for. You obey your employer as you do the Lord. Uh, I'm not working in, in, in that context anymore. I did for 26 years. I retired in the grocery business. Um, so I, I think I know what I'm talking about in terms of personal experience. Notice in verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. That doesn't mean that we're not doing it to men. Obviously not. I mean, you're, you're serving your boss, right? You're serving your company. They're made up of, of, of stockholders, right? I wish I had taken stock out of my company at the time. <laughs> doing service means equals work. If the boss tells you to work, what do you to do? Work. Pretty simple, right? It's like in... Uh, the army, uh, I, I, I never was that. My dad was. But if the drill sergeant says, jump, you're to jump. You're not to say, oh, well, how high? <laughs> if the boss tells you to work, work. Not a word about picketing. Not a word about strikes. You're not getting a job because, or you're not getting a job because the government pays more that you don't, uh, when you don't work. As we, as we will have recited next week, that he who would not work shall not also eat. That's, that's it. That's it. 
I think we have been spoiled rotten in our country to think that the world owes us a living. But wake up. They say wake up America. Certainly wake up church and don't be teaching or fall into the trap of teaching that the world owes us anything or even that God owes us anything because God owes us nothing but his wrath and eternal hell forever. That's the bottom line and that's the gospel. And our being redeemed from that condition is the gospel and nothing else and nothing less nothing more think about this for a moment when one gets a job by entering a mutually agreeable relationship with the employer one voluntarily sells his time and freedom to that employer for that limited time How do you and I conduct ourselves toward those we have responsibility to obey in the workplace? And especially if both are Christians. Now, they don't have to be, but the context, the original audience was that. Christian employer and Christian employee. And so, doesn't what Paul said earlier in Ephesians 5-21 apply in, in spirit? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In another place in Colossians 3.22, this is a corollary or parallel passage. Colossians 3.22, it reads, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. That doesn't mean just the task you like to do, but not the ones you don't want to do. I might uh, just share a little bit of my past. I, I became a believer, and I'm, I'm thankful that I was uh, becoming more of a sanctified believer when I went to work. When I was working in college, and then later after college, and even when I was working while I was attending seminary. Uh, that uh, I didn't pick and choose what I wanted to do, or I didn't slough off at some things, knowing that there was going to be someone to come in later on to do that and just do something I like to do instead, like uh, like be a checker. You know, um, if the milk box had to be filled, and that's that's a lot of work, especially if you have to break down the load. It's easy just to kind of you know, well, there's enough milk, so I'll just go over here and, and do this other thing. You know, and and. When God, and especially when my boss, told me to do that. Or maybe it might, I, I do it, but I, I, I just face what they call face the product, right? And I don't fill the back. Duh. <laughs> That's not the point. He wants me to fill, fill the back, and he'll let the ladies that are not checking to come to the back to do that, that easy stuff, the facing. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, there's a, a passage that uh, I'd like us to turn to that's very important. It's a very important parable, and it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but let me read it. So Matthew 20, 1 through 15. Now, you may not agree with, with the conclusion that Christ came 
up with in his assessment of this account or this uh, workplace. But here it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, it's not a lot, I know, but that's what they agreed to, right? He sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And he gave the same amount, the same wage, a penny to each one. About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. Unfair, right? Unfair. And they likewise received every man a penny. When they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. And this is the cruncher. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thy night evil because I am good? So there it is. The boss said, I'm good enough to give you a job, and you look at me with an evil eye, like I did you wrong. And no doubt there are problems in the workplace. No doubt there are problems that arise from uh, inequality, inequity, because we're in a, a sinful environment. But we deal with those biblically, as we will talk about later. Doesn't your boss have the right to your mind and to your body for those eight hours from the time you clock in to the time you clock out? We have a time clock. And it doesn't matter, time clock, salary, same difference. God's word tells you and me, if you sign a work application, God calls it a covenant, like the covenant of marriage. Hence, work or make it work. Imagine, Paul was dealing back in the first century with the institution of slavery. If there is ever a practice that the apostles were faced with and protested against quietly, quietly, or silently, as it were. It was this that denigrates the very image of God in one's fellow man. 
amazing that he nor the other apostles said anything to encourage slaves to rise up in revolt against their masters. They make no appeal to the masters either to free their slaves. Looking back over 20 centuries of slavery or of human history, slavery, as I've already mentioned, is largely, I believe, eliminated, at least can I call it systemic slavery? And Christianity was the one responsible for getting this ball rolling in that direction without violence, or at least not advocating such. Edward Gibbons, in his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, states, and I have his quote, while that great body, the Roman Empire, was invaded by open violence or undermined by slow decay, a pure and humble religion gently insinuated itself into the minds of men, grew up in silence and obscurity, deprived or derived new vigor from opposition, and finally erected the triumphant banner of the cross on the ruins of the capital, unquote. Force never accomplished anything to end slavery. Or for that matter, the middle-class struggle between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, use the terminology is right, of, of communism, or between the rich and the workers. May I, may I make this recommendation? Only faith can and does, as, as already evidenced in, in past history. Why do you think the Reformation happened? It's something very similar. And why do you think a nation such as ours, with its very difficult beginnings of being at war with another nation, even a nation that controlled it, something similar to the Roman Empire, have what are called in its constitution unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're not there. We're far from perfect. But, but we have that, you see. And that was given to us by our Christian heritage. Servants, be obedient to those who are your earthly masters. To kind of update the words. As unto Jesus. Jesus became a slave of his father, as we heard earlier. Christians are to follow in his steps. As Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who became obedient even unto the death of the cross. And then Paul, in applying that to the Christian, went on to further say, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my absence in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Isn't that interesting how he, he took that in there? That you may be uh, a light shining in a dark world. As I said, Paul was not in favor of systemic slavery or legalized slavery. We recognize it as a product of this fallen world. 
But he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, which is very interesting, this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 21. He says, Art thou called, meaning called into the kingdom of God, being a servant, being a slave. Care not for it. In other words, as far as Paul is concerned, not something desirable. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. In other words, that's the, the far better choice is to be a free man. Recognizing that we will always be the Lord's slave and the Lord's free man all at the same time, once and at the same time. Do you know that the scriptures, and this is all in the, in the mindset of the Apostle Paul because he was a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures. He studied the scriptures. For example, in Deuteronomy 23, you can look it up if you want, Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16. He knew that the scriptures tell us that the slaves of the Jews have a choice, have a choice as to where they want to live if they can pull it off. Look at, look at Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16. He says, Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant, the slave, which is escaped from his master unto thee. Okay, that's what he says. You don't return him to his former master if he escapes his former master. If he escapes to another master, as it were, he shall dwell with thee, even among you, in that place where he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best. In other words, where he wants to be. Maybe he sees another master who treats his servant slaves better. And he wants to be part of that family. Just in terms of quality of life. Maybe his present master has some thought against him and has, has been picking on him and has been really giving him a hard time. Can you imagine that that, that that went on during slave days? And so he wants to be in that household instead of his present one. It's, he says, that is, Moses says, he shall dwell with thee even among you in that place where he shall choose in one of thy gates where it liketh him best Thou shalt not oppress him. It's pretty plain to me. You can read it in the context. I did. And then one more. If your slave lasts 50 years with you, he has the option on the year of Jubilee, as it's called, to be free forever. It says in Leviticus 25.10 that. Leviticus 25.10. So you know it's, it's in the Word of God. I'm not making it up. Leviticus 25, verse 10. And ye shall hollow, meaning make it separate, make it holy, if you will, the 50th year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. Meaning you're to let him free. He's free. Not only are you free from indebtedness, from those that you're indebted to, that's, that's allowed. Uh, you know, given the, the, the circumstances, of course, we have to understand that. But nevertheless, 
It was done. And so was the setting free of the captivity. And this was a Christ echoed when he started his ministry, when he talked about freedom to those that are in prison in the year of the liberty of the Son of God. Yes, in one sense, Christians are all slaves everywhere in the workplace. As Paul said also in 1 Corinthians 6, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. The late R.C. Sproul said, by rendering ungrudging service to their true heavenly owner. Slaves can work not for their value in the marketplace, but for the Lord's glory. One day we will be free even from Christian slavery, if I can describe it that way. When we go to heaven, they become the full-time children of God. Look lastly at Romans 8. 16 and 17. Romans 8. 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together with him. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'll read on. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject, that's the creation, by the way, to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath made, who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, the creation itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We will no longer be slaves. We will be full-time children the family of God. When the creation, but especially the new creation, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And in the meanwhile, ask yourself, I would beseech you, to consider how is your Christian work ethic? Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for this study of an area that doesn't get a lot of addressing, Lord. Um, in the scheme of things, we talk a lot about Christian living in the home. We talk a lot about the church. This whole book is about that. But, but then we have, Lord, areas that we really need to consider. And that is our relationship in the workplace with those who are especially over us, and even with our co-workers, and how we handle ourselves, how we uh, try to uh, temper ourselves, 
in, in, in those relationships and that uh, working environment. And Lord, for those who are still working, especially I pray for grace that they may, Lord, be able to implement this very important first principle of obedience. We talk about first-time obedience for our children, meaning that we don't tolerate that they obey, that they disobey, but that they obey from the get-go. But is it not any different in every other relationship, and especially in our relationship to you? And so help us, O oh God, to this end, that we may glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And let us now sing our last hymn, and that is 621. So please rise and sing this together with joyful heart.